Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Thursday, July 22nd. On today's show, the chaos theory of team building and how so much boils down to unpredictable events. Before we get to that, I want to talk about sports gambling. And I want to give you one reason why sports gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. We've officially entered the dark period of the sports and sports gambling calendar. Stanley Cup finals have left us. The NBA finals have left us. Only regular season baseball remains. We have a month and six days until meaningful football games are played. (laughs) And it's we're going to have to weather the storm together. You know, we need to bond together. We need to think about just the universe, and how to find happiness in this dark one-month-and-six-day span. But me, the person who's always kind of looking ahead to the future and trying to find things that might interest, I went yesterday and looked at gambling lines on college football for the very first time. looked at week zero and looked at week one. And I must admit, I got a nice tingle within my soul because there's hope on the horizon. I know for a fact that on week zero, August 28th, my own football team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, are playing against Illinois. They're favored by seven and a half. And I see that line, and I get excited because it means football is coming. At the same time, I go, oh no, you're falling back into this familiar pattern that happens at the start of every year. When A, I think Nebraska might have a chance of being good at football, which is never true. And B, even more uh, scarily, I go, maybe I should bet on this Nebraska game because I haven't had the chance to bet on football and I could combine these two things that I really like. I know that these should never be combined. It's a chemical formula almost. It's like a scientific equation. Never bet on your favorite team that always disappoints you because inevitably the bet will always disappoint you. I could bet on Nebraska and that will lose. I could bet against Nebraska and that would lose. I could bet on the total. It doesn't matter. I need to stay away. This is the number one thing that I'm saying in present day (laughs) that I hope other people will hold me accountable for when it's August 28th and I'm on this show going, guess what? Guess guess why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah? Because I bet Nebraska just on the money line, I think they're going to win. If that happens, you know that I've sunk to a deep and dark place. And this is a public service announcement that you should never bet your favorite team, especially if they're the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So this is a long-winded way of saying that there is a reason why gambling should be legal in Utah. And it's because it will make you thirst for the most broke down Big Ten football game in the history of Big Ten football games. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Except the unpredictable. These are two things that I love to discuss. Acceptance and unpredictability. Because they're two things that have played a large role within my golf career, uh, getting off the ground, the more that I've gotten into the sport, the more I realize that a very basic principle uh, in order to be successful in the world of golf is this simple phrase, except the unpredictable. You have to be able to do that in order to be successful in golf. Uh, There's so much that ties into the game, you know, a bad bounce, sudden gust of wind, 
uh, that's going to affect you in a negative manner. You think that you've performed perfectly, and the next thing you know, you've dropped a shot because your ball is now in a hazard or it plugged in a place that you didn't think it would. And that can derail around if you let it. Um, this ties into the mental side of the game that I'm also always talking about, that you have to be able to accept the unpredictable because if you don't, one bad bounce or one ill-timed gust of wind can suddenly be worth much more than a shot. You made a bogey on the hole, but you can't let it go. And you're going, I can't believe that that screwed me over at this time. And then you made a bogey on the next hole. And then you made a double bogey because you're angrier. And then you just are not caring and you're not trying. And the next thing you know, you've shot an 83 on a round that if you accepted that, yeah, sometimes that I'm I'm just going to get screwed by the wind or by a bounce, then you could have shot 74 on that same day. Um, A lot of people can't let the breaks of the game go. And me, on certain occasions, I am in that boat. Uh, Part of what I've tried to get better at over the course of years is this idea um, and this mindset that, yes, I got to be able to accept the unpredictable and I got to be able to refocus as soon as it happens. Because if I don't let these breaks go, um, it'll never serve me well, especially when I need to stay in the moment and play good golf. I have... I have a bunch of people who I golf with, uh, and one of them comes to mind when I think about this particular idea, because he's the opposite of this. He's like the worst case scenario of it. He's, he has a lot of talent, uh, and he can play good golf on occasion, but he can't ever let the breaks of the game go. And so as soon as one thing happens, he's stomping around, and he'll go over there like he's Encyclopedia Brown looking at the ground, and he'll go, look at this ball, Mark, this is where my ball hit. And it should have bounced this way, and instead it bounced that way, and now I'm taking a drop, and I, and I made a double bogey, and I should have made a birdie. And so then we're on the next tee, and he's saying, I mean, that's a three-shot swing, and my score should be three shots better. And then he's flaring a drive out into the trees because he can't refocus. And the next thing you know, he shot the 83 that could have been a 74. It never serves you well within that forum. Um, and it never serves you well within the forum of other sports, and especially within team building and putting a a really good team in place and then trying to win a championship with that team. I always talk about my love for gambling of sports. And I think that one of the things that gambling on sports really does that is valuable to a fan or especially to a casual fan is that it it really tunes you into the luck and unpredictability of every single game. Um, You'll never be more aware of this aspect than when you have money riding on the outcome. Uh, The weird nuances that can go into individual player performance. Then you go teams and how they work together in unison, the refs, the weather. Every single tiny thing is magnified by 100 times because you watch it and you go, well, if that just one thing happened, then my bet would have won. And if that one thing would have happened, my bet would have won. And you go down a list that's 150 bullet points. And all of these things tie into how a game is won or lost. Uh, And within the gambling world, this understanding exponentiates when you bet on a half of a game or a quarter of a game. You know, I bet on Milwaukee first quarter, minus one and a half in game six. and, And luckily they kind of get that running away. But a lot of times a quarter bet, it's so amplified on everything that happens within that quarter. Oh man, if the ref just would have called this ride or they missed this call or this ball rattled in and out at the buzzer or this turnover happened, all of this stuff ties into the unpredictable side of sports, the lucky side of sports, the side that 
I think a lot of times is just ignored when we talk about legacy and who stepped up and won. And now this person is celebrated and this person is not because they were on the losing side. These unpredictable events in the world of sports, they can go one of two ways, especially on the fan side. It will lead you to question the meaning of everything and kind of whether the universe hates you or not. Or if it's positive, it kind of leads you to believe in the miraculous side of sports and just this kind of overwhelming sense of awe that I can't believe that happened and it favored the team that I was rooting for or the team that I had bet on. Just within this last NBA stretch, uh, the Bucks obviously come out and win the NBA championship. I think back to their second round series against the Brooklyn Nets and just the crazy whirlwind of events that go into the Bucks winning that series. And I think about a better having a money line bet on game seven of that series, which ends up going to overtime. And there's a million bazillion swing plays that happen in that game that decide the outcome, especially down the stretch. None bigger than this famous Kevin Durant foot barely on the line on a three-pointer with a second to go. Live, we think that he's actually won the game because a three-pointer, they're down two, would have put him up by one. And instead it goes to replay and his size 18 sneakers. They're barely onto the three-point line. And so now that game-winning three is a game-tying two. They go into overtime. Again, a bunch more swing plays unfold and Milwaukee comes out on top. It's a crazy moment to think of in retrospect, especially knowing now uh, what we know about just this Giannis finals performance and how his public, the public perception of him has done a complete 180 for a lot of people because what we thought was a player you couldn't really build a championship team around is now an NBA champion and a dude who just delivered one of the greatest finals performances in the history of the NBA. But you go back to Milwaukee's playoff run, you go back to this game seven, and even before then, and throughout the entire Milwaukee Bucks title run, you, it's just an incredible amount of unpredictable events, both large and small. On the large side, you think of James Harden, just his hamstring pulling in game one of that series. And now he's not playing up until game five. And when he does, or he's not playing until game six, actually. And when he does, it's just, he's not really the version of James Harden that we know. It's Kyrie's ankle Rolling in game three of the series, the Nets are up 2-0. looks like they're going to win the series running away. Next thing you know, they're not. It's a team that they don't even have to play. The Philadelphia 76ers, who seem like a great matchup for Milwaukee, they fold. They go through an identity crisis of their own against Atlanta. Ben Simmons, who knows what's going to happen with him this offseason. Joel Embiid's battling injuries. They don't even make it out of the second round to play Milwaukee. And then in the conference finals, Trey Young gets injured. Total fluke. He takes a weird step backwards and a referee who's standing on the out-of-bounds line. His ankle pops on it and he's not playing and then he's playing in game six but severely hampered. Um, And then the most notable one, Giannis. Major injury, we think. Knee bends this way, that way, and that way. Looks like an ACL thing. Uh, He sits out games five and six. Milwaukee wins those without him. He comes back in the finals and shows no sign whatsoever of (laughs) an injury that we thought was total devastation for him and for this franchise. And then he's making the Giannis block in game four. He's playing a huge role in the holiday still. And then alley-oop to Giannis in game five. These crazy iconic plays. These are the main ones uh, when it comes to just the unpredictable side of how a championship is won. And if you followed this team more closely than I all year, I'm sure you could put together a list that's a mile long. But this is how this side of building a team 
and winning a championship works. I want to read something from Tom Ziller of Good Morning It's Basketball. It's a newsletter, and he wrote this before the finals had begun, but it's a subject that I find to be very interesting when it comes to team building. To me, it just reaffirms the chaos theory of NBA team building. Models are useful. Plans are necessary. Just don't rely on your processes or philosophies to hold true. For good and for bad, building an NBA team is full of unpredictable events. The Bucks, four wins from a championship seven years after a hellish chaos, are the model example. End quote. So we know the Bucks go on to win, and I want to expand this kind of beyond the NBA because every single sport revolves around this idea, whether that's on the team building side or whether that's on the court, on the field, on the rink, on the golf course. Uh, it's just full of unpredictable events. So that's where the acceptance side comes in. Uh, that's where this chaos theory really rears its head, and it's kind of fascinating to follow or it's completely maddening if it's your team. Because you can control a lot of stuff, but you can't control everything. And so you build the perfect team, and it's put together, and you go, there's no way we can't win a championship with this team. It's just structured too perfectly. These players are too talented. They work too well together in unison, and they're coached perfectly. And then through whatever series of events, you can still not win a championship for that year or for multiple years. Uh, When your team is the best team in your mind, it's really hard to come to terms with this idea, this chaos theory, uh, and the unpredictable nature of how sports actually work and how uh, possibly the very best team can have a championship season or a championship window derailed just because of the unpredictable side. So as I was thinking about this theory and just this idea and this subject that I really, really find to be fascinating, two teams came to mind for me, one within the NBA and one within the world of college football. And as I'm talking about this, I'm sure that people who are listening or who are watching, teams will pop into their mind that follow this same suit because over the course of the history of sports, there's so much unpredictability that goes into every single championship window. And what may resonate more with me is very different from what resonates with you. And this is part of what I, why I like talking about this subject and talking about the teams that were meaningful to me because I know that it stimulates this in others. And then when I see them, they go, hey, I want to talk to you about this particular team that I think aligned with the chaos side of sports, the unpredictable side of sports. So the first team that came to mind for me is the 2002 Sacramento Kings, a team that was very near and dear to my heart uh, because they were kind of the precursor to a free-flowing, team-oriented offense. That style of basketball that really wasn't prevalent within that time frame. Uh, it was kind of the grandfather to what the Spurs would pretty much master in the 2013-14 season when they ran Miami into the dirt uh, with just this incredible, beautiful ball movement. Five guys, all can score, all can pass, all selfless. Nobody cares who gets the end bucket, all that the Sacramento Kings cared about in 2002 was zip the ball around and get the very best shot possible. For me, it's just the most beautiful brand of basketball to watch. And so this really resonated with me at the time. Uh, And in 2002, the Kings, they have the best record, 61 and 21. They have the best net rating in basketball, plus 7.9. They go into the playoffs. They play the Utah Jazz in round one. 
They dispatch them. They play the Dallas Mavericks in round two. They dispatch them. And they go against the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Two-time defending NBA champions against the team that I think a lot of people, especially after this series played out, believed was the very best team in basketball in 2002. So the Kings have home court against the Lakers. Uh, They go up 2-1 in that series. Game four, it's on the road in LA. And it's one of the most memorable on the negative side basketball games that I have been a part of because I really wanted this Sacramento Kings team to win. I did not like this Lakers team at all. And again, the style of basketball that the Kings played, it really resonated with me. And I wanted to believe that this is what the NBA could become. More free-flowing, more team-oriented, less ISO, throw it to a star and just have them do whatever they want for 20 seconds and hopefully that bucket goes down. So they go on the road in game four, up 2-1 in this series. They race out to a 20-point lead at the end of the first quarter. They're up by as much as 24 in the first half. L.A. whittles it down to 14 by halftime. Samaki Walker on L.A., just a total side piece role player. He hits a three at the end of the half to cut it to that. One that replay clearly shows the ball is still in his hand. Like I can still remember all of this because it's just one of those things that you don't forget uh, when you're really emotionally invested in a particular sporting event. The next year, the NBA Institute's instant replay for buzzer beaters because they looked at that and they're like, yeah, that was pretty egregious. Maybe we don't want that in our game. All right, we can institute that in the following season. Just these unpredictable things, these tiny little things that if they pile up enough on the scale, it might be the difference that tilts uh, the difference between a win and a loss. Uh, Those of you who follow basketball, you know how this game ends. It's one of the most iconic shots in the history of the NBA. And for those who are rooting for the losing side, one of the most uh, traumatic because the Kings, it looks like they're going to win the game. Kobe misses a shot. They're down by a couple. Shaq misses a shot. Vladi Divac, the center for the Kings at the time. He's just trying to get the ball out of there, and he bats it out of this group of people. And who does it go to? Big shot Bob, Robert Dory. He catches the ball in rhythm. He shoots a three. I remember watching this at home. I'm in downstairs of my parents' house. And as the ball is going through the air, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be just the worst possible loss. And the buzzer's going off. The ball still hasn't gone in, and it swishes in. LA's now tied the series at two. And at the time, I have the feeling just like, oh, this is the the moment that the universe really says, I hate you, you know? Uh, It seems to me like Sacramento's the best team. Now it's a 2-2 series. They still have home court. They go back to game five. Mike Bibby hits a game-winning jumper. They're up 3-2. And uh, even though LA is on the ropes and they have Kobe and they have Shaq and they're a two-time defending champion and this is a lot of times where like the, the very best players, they come to play and they rule the day. I had so much belief in this team because I thought they were the best team. I still to this day think they were the best team in basketball in 2002. And so now we have... a. Uh, an introduction of another aspect of just the unpredictable side of sports and just you can't ever plan for it. And when it happens, you go, what was that? How in a million years could a team on the building side ever plan for an event like this? Game six, where Tim Donaghy, uh, an NBA referee who ended up serving jail time for fixing NBA games, point shaving scandal stuff. Um, When he was interviewed about all this stuff, 
he pointed to game six of the Lakers Kings and said, yeah, that was one of those ones that just kind of uh, the NBA put their thumb on the scale and said, it's in our best interest for LA to force a game seven. They're the bigger market. We kind of want that stuff. If you're into the conspiracy theory side of the NBA, this is the number one game of my entire lifetime that a lot of people will point out and go, what went on in this game from a refing standpoint? LA in the fourth quarter of that game alone, they attempt 27 free throws to only nine for Sacramento. Uh, if you go and just, you can watch replays on YouTube. You can go and read articles about it. There's about 10 different calls within that fourth quarter alone that were just so egregiously bad that as I was watching it, I couldn't, my mind almost couldn't process what was going on. Uh, the most notable, it's Mike Bibby. He's bleeding on the ground uh, without a foul call in the last 15 seconds of the game as Kobe elbows him down, uh, probably the defining image of the game. And the Kings end up losing this tight, hard-fought game that I still believe was decided strictly by refing, you know. Um, and we go to game seven, home court, goes to overtime, Kings lose. Doug Christie memorably airballs a three from the corner that would put them in front in the last minute of overtime. Just a series decided by the absolute tiniest of margins. Uh, and one that I still look back on and I'm just like, I still feel the pain when I see the Ori shot, when I see Bibby bleeding, when I see the Christie airball, all of these things that tied into this series being won or lost. I still feel that pain on the emotion side of just like, I can't believe that that team, which I do believe was built perfectly and was on the visionary side ahead of its time. And they utilized a, a brand of basketball and offense that A, threw teams for the loop because it wasn't that common in the time, but B, they perfected that and really said, okay, we're going to go out of our way to trade for Mike Bibby. And Chris Webber, you're a star. We're going to build around you. And, oh, Pedro Stojakovic, we identified you in the draft, and now you've turned into this really incredible small forward. And, okay, Doug Christie, okay, uh, Bobby Jackson, go down the list of all these people who were part of that team. If you built it, you said, man, we built this team perfectly. And we got Rick Adelman, who was the perfect coach for this style and for this team. And you still got to a point where your championship window opened and it seemed right there for the taking. And then all of these random, unpredictable events conspired against this team. And so the championship window that was opened, uh, we still thought it was open after that season. I was very optimistic going into 2003 and Weber, he mangles his knee the following year, and the Kings never had a chance like that again. It was a one-year window. Um, and that's how a lot of this stuff works. What you think is just this wide-open five-year stretch where you could win a championship or multiple championships, it's usually never that cut and dry because the unpredictable nature of how all this stuff works, it's just you can't really ever plan for it. Um, that's part of this stuff that Tom Ziller was talking about within the Good Morning It's Basketball quote that I read. You can have the perfect process. You can implement everything perfectly. And sometimes, actually a lot of times, it will just boil down to amongst the very best teams who got the unpredictable things on their side. So the other team that I want to talk about, uh, I don't think they were the most talented team. But when I think about the unpredictable nature of sports, they're probably the number one team that comes to mind of they were within a hair of winning a national championship. It's a 2013 Auburn football team. Because nobody rode the unpredictable nature of sports more than this team. 
Within a two-month window, they played three of the most memorable college football games of my life. And it was within this tiny window. It tapped into everything I love, love, love about college football. Just how unpredictable on a down-to-down basis the sport can be. It's less so now over the course of a season. Uh, the same teams, they kind of are there at the end of the season without, without a shadow of a doubt. Ohio State's going to be there. Alabama will be there. Georgia will be there. Clemson will be there. Oklahoma will be there. But on a down-to-down basis, college football is still the most chaotic of sports. Um, it's the one that most, it will most make you believe in kind of that miraculous side of, I can't believe that happened. So 2013 Auburn, they have two just iconic miracle moments. The first one's November 16th of that year. It's called the Prayer Jordan Hare. Those of you who know college football will know this play. Um, they're playing Georgia at home. They're down 38-37 with 36 seconds to go. They have a fourth and 18. And it seems like the game's over. I can still remember vividly where I was watching this game. Uh, another one of those just emotional, emotionally bound moments that sports create. And I'm going, yeah, it just seems like a little too much. And Nick Marshall, the quarterback for Auburn, he throws essentially a Hail Mary. That's two Georgia defenders jumping for the ball. It's just going to be a pick. It's essentially an arm punt. And they tip it up in the air. Uh, And Ricardo Lewis, a receiver for Auburn, he's running full speed. And now the ball's popped up and he just grabs it in stride. And what looked like an easy, sure interception that would end the game is now a 73-yard touchdown. That is a touchdown for Auburn. It preserves their national title hopes. At the time, they're ranked number seven in the nation. They have a loss on their record. A second one, they would have no chance of winning the national title. So the prayer Jordan Hare happens. About as unpredictable as you can possibly envision. An arm punt turns into a 73-yard touchdown for your team on a fourth and 18 with 36 seconds to go on the clock. And I go, oh, well, they have to play Alabama two weeks later on November 30th. And Alabama, I think, is the better team. Um, and that this prayer at Jordan Hare probably won't matter in the grand scheme of the national title race, but it's a very memorable college football moment. And instead, two weeks later, again, at Jordan Hare Stadium at home, uh, they have probably the most memorable college football moment of my entire lifetime, the kick six in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. Um, Alabama, it's a tie game, last play of the game. Nick Saban, he's debating whether they should attempt a 57-yard field goal or not. He sends in the field goal unit. And watching this, I don't really ever think there's a chance that Auburn can do anything. I go, this is going to be crazy. I don't think Alabama will make this, and we're going to be in overtime, and this is going to be a very memorable moment one way or another. And Alabama boots it up there. Auburn's placed Chris Davis back in case it's too short and he can return it. And so he catches it right near the back of the end zone, 109 yards away from the goal line. And what turns, what this play turns into is just chaos, unpredictability, all of the things that you would never in a million years be able to script if you were writing out what's the funkiest thing that could happen in a college football game. The kick six was that. <laughs> the biggest rivalry in college football featuring two teams that were playing for a national title berth boiling down to a 109-yard missed field goal return. Like, you couldn't ever structure something like that. And instead, he's weaving through people. He's starting to run down the sidelines. By the time he gets to about the 50, it's starting to dawn on everybody that maybe this is going to be a touchdown. And indeed, he streaks down the sideline. 
People are freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm sure everybody who's ever a part of that game was freaking out. And it's one of those reminders that as much as I will get lost in the weeds on analysis and reading the stats and looking at gambling lines and all this kind of stuff, so many times a game or an entire season just boils down to one tiny unpredictable event that in a million years you would never, ever, ever imagine. This is the stuff that comes to mind for me. It's these 2002 Sacramento Kings. It's the 2013 Auburn Tigers. They go to the national title game on the backs of just this, this chaos. And they play a third game that's just an incredibly memorable game. Florida State, Jameis Winston. Auburn jumps out to a 21-3 lead. The fourth quarter of that game was just insane. It's back and forth. Who knows what's happening? (laughs) Florida State takes a... They take the lead on a kick return touchdown with four minutes to go in the game. Then Auburn comes back. They retake the lead with a little over a minute to go on a Trey Mason touchdown run, 30-some-odd yards. Florida State comes down. They have the iconic Jameis Winston to Kelvin Benjamin. He's high-pointing the ball with 13 seconds to go for a championship-winning touchdown. There's three games that are out of this world. So many swing plays. They all boil down to just insanity, unpredictability, chaos, which as a viewer is so incredible. If you're a fan of any of those teams, you ride a roller coaster that you don't ever forget. And if you're on the losing side, uh, it really sticks in your craw. It sticks with you for all of time. You feel the way that I feel about those 2002 Sacramento Kings. You go, man, yeah, Auburn, they had all these lucky things go their way, but All that they needed was just one stop at the end of the Florida State game in their national champions. And if you're the Alabama team that year, you go, man, we could have easily won that national title. All that we needed was not to allow a 109-yard missed field goal return with no time on the clock of a tie game. There's so many of these moments traced through the history of sports. That's why I like talking about them. That's why I like hearing about them from other people because what sticks out to me Uh, everyone else will have a different story of either their team or the team they gambled on or just the team that resonated with them because they had a revolutionary style or they played a brand of football or basketball that just stuck with you. So all this stuff ties back into what I was talking about at kind of the top of the episode. That as much as we all want championships to be won by the very best team, many times that is changed by the role of these unpredictable events. I still will maintain the 2002 Kings, the very best team, but that doesn't always play out because you can't control everything and you can't incorporate this chaos. This, you can't incorporate it into your team building strategy. So you just have to kind of accept, which is maddening, but you got to accept that, yeah, even the perfect plan it can be derailed by something that you would never, ever, ever predict. And that's the chaos side of winning a championship. One that the Milwaukee Bucks just showed us over the course of the last couple months. Uh, you control everything you can control on your side. And then you hope like hell that the breaks of the game go your way. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. 
You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.